Hey, Rob here, and this episode of the Crooked Table Podcast is sponsored by Audible. Of course, this year we're journeying through the wizarding world of Harry Potter, and one of the very best ways to experience the book series is through the incredible audiobooks performed by Jim Dale. Audible has the entire series and so much more just waiting for you. To check out thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, and other spoken word entertainment, start your free 30-day trial today over at audibletrial.com slash crooked table. That's audibletrial.com slash crooked table. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast, where we discuss the world of film from a fresh angle. And now your host, Robert Yannis Jr. Welcome to the Crooked Table Podcast. This is Rob. On this show, we democratize the film criticism conversation by bringing on fans and critics alike, blah, blah, blah. But normally, that's what we do. This week, Kai's trying to distract me. This week, we are continuing our very ill-timed Harry Potter series, uh, talking about Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. And I'm so glad that both 2020 and our Harry Potter series are getting closer to ending, um, because I couldn't have picked a worse year to delve into the works of She Who Must Not Be Named. But thankfully, I am here with a guest who we can name, who's been on the show many times before, my wife, Kai Yanis. Welcome to the show again. Hi, everybody in podcast land. Um, thank you, Rob, for having me on the show. You're always I, so formal when uh, I do this. Well, I work in financial services. That's true. I work like in an office environment, so it's just... Not I, for the last like six, seven months you haven't worked in an, in an office environment. That's true. That's true. Um, but it's still financial services, so true. I gotta be like, you know... I actually even had somebody I used to work with that was like, you used to work at like a bank or something? And I'm like, yeah. She's like, I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when I was working at like a recruiting place. Because um, you have bank voice. Yeah. So then, I, 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 is, there, is that the implication that the person was asking? Um, no, I think because I think what she was saying was I like the way that I walk and like present myself. It's, I guess. Banky? Banky. Yeah. <laughs> a, a banky, banky okay. type bank. person. Um but yeah, so thanks for having me on the show yet again. And I actually opted in for this episode like a year ago, I think. Well, obviously, Kai hears about my plans for the podcast before anyone hears about my my plans for the podcast. Um, and I may be the one that sometimes incepts Rob with ideas for the podcast. Did you incept the idea to do I the Harry I Potter did. series? I feel like I did. I don't remember how that happened, but it made I, it, it was a logical follow up to Star Wars because again, Harry Potter is kind of the Star Wars for this current generation. And eight movies, yeah, and eight movies, which is the perfect number. Um, I re I revealed during an Instagram live video that I posted, I guess last week or something like that, as of this recording, that we're doing the Rocky franchise next time. So want to kick a little bit of a break from uh, the fantasy sci fi stuff. So that should be interesting, but. Kai, did you volunteer to do one of these, or did I say which one do you want? You're doing one of these. Like, what um, was the, what was the dynamic? It was there? a little bit of both. Um, you asked me um, gently if I would, you know, if I would participate, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll participate. And at the time, I had only, when I think when I said I was going to do it with you, do one of these episodes. Um, I'd only seen the movies, like, you know, five years before. I think, um, I think what I re- recollect is that Rob and I saw the Harry Potter series together, like, 
2011, 2012 or something? 2014, I think. It oh, was, was it that way? Yeah, like? it was, I think it was soon after we got married. And, um, and I hadn't yet even read the books. So when I read the books from... Um, you put a lot of emphasis on the books. When I read books. the books uh, um, from the months of August to October 2019, that um, while I was reading Half-Blood Prince, that's when I said to Rob, I'm like... I want to do this one. That's the one I want to do. Yeah. So And I, I hadn't even read Deathly, ha- Deathly Hallows yet, obviously. <laughs> so, um, and I, you know, stayed true to... Stay, stay true to form this whole I think time. it was maybe you reading the books books so late <laughs> uh, like like 15 years after the rest of the world that I think maybe that's what made me think yeah Harry Potter I should do those maybe that was part of the inspiration for why I picked this I mean who even knows you know like we have all these conversations and it's hard to like and we don't really record remember. all of them shockingly I'm always telling you we should do another podcast or you should do your own or because I think our conversations are interesting and I'm making these mostly to entertain myself I guess <laughs> and hopefully some people come along for the ride but um so having seen the movie because you had a different experience uh, or you can bring a different perspective now to this movie because everyone, most of the people that have been on the series read the books a long time ago and then watched the movies as they came out or have only seen the movies or something like some variation of that. But you saw the movies, then read the books, then have been rewatching most of the movies with me. What, you know, what is it? How is the, how generally, what is your th- what are your thoughts on the Harry Potter franchise, books and movies, and how do they compare? And then, you know, we'll kind of do the general stuff before we get into Half-Blood Prince proper. Well, first off, um, I'm very fortunate that I read the series when I did because you have you have the group of um, readers that were reading the books while they were waiting for the other books, the next books to come out. You had the people, like you said, that were that read all the books and then were waiting patiently, impatiently, for the, the next movie to come out. And then I'm in the group where all the books are already written and um, all the moves are already done, already made. So I, I didn't have to wait. I, could, I just went right through them. And um, I was able to do that basically for free because I did a Kindle Unlimited subscription for a month, that so I could end up downloading all of the Harry Potter books. Um, I read them digitally, so I just kind of just read them back to back to back. And um, I recall that Half Blood Prince was one of the longer ones, if I'm not mistaken. But um, I, yeah, I, I do feel like the books are better than the movies. Um, I th- I think I remember watching. Some of Princess of Azkaban with you. Prince, prisoner? Prisoners. <laughs> said Princess of Azkaban. I'm oh, like, I who's said, the, Oh, I thought it, I said a prison. Who, who is the... Who I was is wrong the, in some way. Who is the Princess of Azkaban in your mind? Is that Sirius Black? No, Bellatrix. Bellatrix? Okay, fair enough. He's, she's not in that one, but okay. Right, but... But she's the Princess of... That's like a, a new story that you want to write as Harry Potter fanfic... There you go. The Princess of Azkaban. Just <laughs> a strange. Um, yeah. And we watched The Goblet of Fire together and Order of the Phoenix is after that. Yeah. 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 And um, Order of the Phoenix, both the book and the movie just make me so uncomfortable. I was not. I'm not. It, it's just. Yeah. So I think that though that, um, you know, my view of she who may not, who shall not be named writing is that she really is 
an amazing writer. Like she was able to create a world in these books that was so unique and, um, you know, do this character development and the, and in the books, you know, they have all those side stories that they don't do. They don't even bring up in the movies, which we'll talk about some of that Mm -hmm. during this podcast. And, um, it's just, yes, it's just the, it's just very rich and very rich storytelling. And I've also read, um, Cattle of Vacancy by her as well. And that book, like the ending, I was very sad and heartbreaking, but still very, very good storytelling from her. Good writer, not so great human being, apparently, as yeah. it turns out. Which is so weird. What it's so weird with these books because that's what everybody says is that it was all about um, acceptance and like fighting. Basically, it sounds like they're kind of basically fighting Nazis. You know, well, that's what, well, that's been the thing I've been saying on at least some of these episodes is that. You know, Star Wars, they're, they're space Nazis, and here they're magic Nazis. Yeah. Basically. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so I, I, I held back from reading the Harry Potter books for a long time because I guess I kind of thought it was, I didn't want to be popular. You were being contrarian. Okay. Yeah. All right. There you go. I was being contrarian. It's one of my, um, one of my charming qualities. And like, cause my mom and my sister lo- um, read the books, loved the books, watched the movies. Like, I actually remember see, I actually saw Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in two thousand one in the movie theater, and that was the only one that I saw in the movie theater, and it was with it was with my mom and my sister. So I'm just like, I don't want to read that. Um, and so I waited a long time, and I'm glad that I. I'm now part of that experience because I do get to bring some something different to it and, and more of a freshness because, you know, it was only a year ago, this month, October, that I finished um, Deathly Hallows, the last book. So I do think, though, though to also kind of speak, speak about the films is that the films are really rich, too. I mean, they use amazing um, CGI and, you know, Art direction would be, I guess, be the a nice uh, film term, and you know the the characters of the actors that play Hermione and Harry. I guess Ron. <laughs> yeah, I noticed you didn't mention Ron. Um, I was going to say really, are so, really fun, and like they really do kind of like take on encapsulate those those characters. So the movie the movies are fun too. They're just different. So to clarify, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix is the longest book. Okay. But it's actually the second shortest movie, which is interesting. So they just... You only can take so much of Umbridge. I, I guess. So much. I, 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 like I said in, our, in my discussion with uh, Amy Otero on that film, I would have liked more of the occlumency sequences yeah, with, with Snape. I, I think they, we kind of got a little bit of short shrift in that department. Um, so what is it specifically when you, like you said, you were reading... Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, and you were like, this is the one I want to talk about. Why is this the one you wanted to talk about? And then, I guess, qu- quick, short answer on that, and then we'll elaborate on it uh, after, what the, you, what you trying to say? after the jump. Are you trying to say that I elaborate and provide too many details? No. Did I sound like that? Did it sound like I said that? <laughs> no, because you said... <laughs> well, because I don't want us to... Because I, I feel like that's leaning into the transition. Oh. And so I'm just like, well... Because that's what you thought, you would be right. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, no comments. The reason I liked, I wanted to talk about Half-Blood Prince is that in the book, it's, I really do like pronounce book very strongly. Um, but in the story, um, there was a lot of scenes about Voldemort's past, you know, um, when he was Tom Riddle, when he was, when he then became Voldemort. And I just thought it was which is really fascinating, um, learning about, learning about him and this creepy dude. Like he, he is creepy. And even in the books, like, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like freaky. This is kind of freaking me out a little bit. Just how, how evil he is. And then of course he gets, he becomes even more evil. Wait, are you talking about Harry Potter or are you talking about the news these days? (laughs) Anyway, before we get into any of that, Let's listen to a little bit of the trailer for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince right now. This year, Voldemort has chosen Draco Malfoy for a mission. Evil will pass through from their world into our own. These are mad times we live in, mad! And the darkest hour, it's beyond anything I imagined, is upon us all. In my life, I've seen things that are truly horrific. Now I know you will see worse. You're the chosen one, Harry. You have to realize who you are. Without you, we leave the fate of our world to chance. You have no choice. You must not fail. It's over. That was a little bit of the trailer for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince from 2009, directed by David Yates. So, here's the thing. This is basically a magical reflection on where we are in the world now, is essentially how I feel about it. And I think it's really worn down on me. I feel like this this series of um, episodes started off very positively, and over the end, by the end of them, I'm just like, are we, this is like a lot. Uh, I think it's just the world in general, too, that's kind of worn on me over time. Uh, care to weigh in on how, here's a good segue, how the Harry Potter series sort of parallels 2020 because Amy and oh, Amy and I got into that in Order of the Phoenix, as people may or may not have listened to by now, uh, and how much it felt relevant to today with everything going on politically. And this one, I feel like, builds on that in a way that the first sequence, as I wrote down, is the wizarding world crossing over into the muggle world. So, like, the Death Eaters are straight up terrorizing random citizens in London, like not even trying to be like, not even trying to stick to the wizarding community. So any thoughts on Half-Blood Prince and how it relates to uh, this chaotic ass year? Well, I first actually um, wanted to just say that I, I had said some comments about that when we're watching the movie, that that is not how the book opened. But what actually the trivia reminded me that they they opened it that way because that was when the new oh gosh I don't remember his name the the Ministry of Magic guy the new one um, the one that in the next one I think is uh, Bill Nye in a 
uh, like cameo. He's like in one scene. I yeah, think. and so it's I can't it's, remember it's, it's, his it's, it's them name right just now. Doing, actually doing doing action not Bill sequence. Nye the science guy. Mm-hmm. To be fair, doing action sequence of his expo- exposition in the beginning of that book. So that's that's so that's what it was. So it was just instead of him sitting there in an armchair talking about it. It's more cinematic to actually it, show the attack. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm more okay with that. Um, yeah, I definitely feel like this movie... Oh, wait, Order of Phoenix or Half-Blood Prince? Half-Blood Prince. Because it, it... I mean, it starts out the first scene of Half-Blood Prince, which, by the way, is inexplicably rated PG. Um, the same rating as, like, Shrek. <laughs> which is like, okay, sure. Um, Warner Brothers. It, it opens literally the first scene before the title even comes up is right after Voldemort disappeared at the end of Order of the Phoenix. You even re, you even hear Harry, uh, you even hear Bellatrix kind of doing the I killed Sirius Black that thing, and it cuts to all the people taking pictures of Dumbledore and Harry as like the, the you know the media or whatever arrives uh, in the Mad, uh, Department of Mysteries. So it literally picks up right from there. So there's not a lot of, I mean, I guess there's a few months of time between the end of one school year and the beginning of the next, but it, it, it has that scene and then jumps, reveal the fact that Harry has been kind of just chilling for, yeah, for the summer. He was even at the Dursleys, I don't think. No, I don't think so. And I think in the books, even they didn't want to take him back or whatever. By the way, uh, Minister Rufus Scrim, Scrimgore. Yeah. No, I th- no, in the books, he's at the Dursley's yeah. house every year until the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. Because, which they don't they don't ever say this in the movies, but this is very important. And this is good. I'm getting off what you asked me. That's but, fine. Um, That's what we do The here. reason, for those of you that have listened and have not read the books, the reason why Harry Potter has to go back to the Dursley's every summer is because the love that bond, the, his mother's love bonded him um, and it's, it it still goes through to her sister, and so she his her sister his aunt Aunt Petunia um, Aunt Petunia who's been absolutely horrible to Harry she made a promise to um, Dumbledore back that day when they took Harry in that I don't remember I don't remember what the promise was but Harry has to be there every year um, for just just a short bit of time to just be bonded. To continue that bond of love, um, so that way Voldemort and the Death Eaters can't hurt him. And um, so I actually forgot that detail. So that's, that's very it's very important to note that because you're probably all thinking like, why the hell does he keep going back there? Yeah, they suck. I mean, he's obviously a minor still, but it's like he's he could go back. He could stay with the Weasleys this whole time, but he has to keep going back to the Dursleys' house. Right. So. Um, um, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what happened in the book where he was at the Dursleys, but yeah. So um, yeah, definitely it, it does mirror um, what's going on politically. You know, there's there's a, a a battle waging between the um, Voldemort and the Death Eaters, and versus the um, Order of the Phoenix and th- those that uh, Voldemort and crew hurt so there's like an uprising and i kind of feel like some of that is stirring now as i as we record this and um just if and people feeling on like some feeling something's gonna happen to them i guess if they if you know 
now that the death death eaters are out there and they're kind of the majority and they're wreaking havoc, people all around feeling very uncomfortable and that something's going to happen to them and that it's not really safe to even go anywhere, which for us, like, yeah, we're, it's not safe to go anywhere because we're trying to, like, not have this, there's just this virus around. There's no pandemic in, in uh, uh, Magic Nazis is the pandemic in, in Harry Potter. This is actually one of the, this is actually probably the Harry Potter movie that I feel like I like more than most people. I feel uh, I, everybody's sort of on the same page with Prisoner of Azkaban. And I, I, until my most recent rewatch, Order of the Phoenix was probably on my on the lower end of my uh, my ranking. I think I appreciate it more now watching it uh, in 2020. But uh, I actually liked Half-Blood Prince quite a bit when I first saw it because of the focus on Dumbledore and Harry because we get a little a lot more focus uh, a lot more of what's going on on Voldemort's side of things the um, the development for Snape and Malfoy the the fact that there have been sort of dormant threats to Harry I mean you know Malfoy shows up and it's like what are you doing here Potter and that's kind of been his thing for five movies what are you doing here book yeah right exactly um and this is where both of them become actual threats to Harry, other than like obstacles that he has to avoid while he and Hermione and Ron. So notice, notice both Kai and myself went Harry, Hermione, and then Ron is last. I feel like a lot of people might order them Harry, Ron, Hermione, but it's very clearly Harry because he's the title character, and then Ron, Hermione, and then Ron is like an afterthought. Harry, comma Hermione. Dot, 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 a few spaces, and then Ron. I um, this is better than you saying Jenny before Ron. I like Jenny, all right? She's kind of a, she's more bland of a character in the movies than she is in the books, by far. Um, but, uh, so I I really like the, the way that you finally get some payoff for these characters that have been really looming in the background. And I think that's the challenge of a lot of these movies. They're like, all right. This is a long story and everyone has important roles to play, but they're not huge roles to play. You know what I mean? Like Maggie Smith doesn't have that much. Dame Maggie Smith, excuse me, doesn't have that much to do here. But when she's there, it's important that she's there because McGonagall needs to be a constant presence. And when she's there, you know, her screen time counts. Like you get excited to see Hagrid, who's again in these movies a lot less after the third one. Um, and McGonagall and people like that, like they have roles to play, but they're more background players in a way. And I feel like this is the one where Dumbledore is almost as important to the story as Harry. Uh, this is the one where Snape is a focal point. Spoilers, the other title character, even. Uh, where Malfoy actually is a substantive character and not to reference our current uh, obsession with Cobra Kai and not Harry's Johnny Lawrence, essentially. Um <laughs> No, they're both blonde. What's up with that? I, I think just, bad we talked about this boys. when we were watching Cobra Kai, which, by the way, if you haven't watched Cobra Kai, stop this podcast, listen to it later, then go watch Cobra Kai, and then come back and listen to this podcast and hear us be like, Cobra Kai, it's great, isn't it? Um, uh, because I'm obsessed with Cobra. Th- that's going to have to be a future episode, like we, I've oh, talked about. Oh, Detour? Yeah, well, I need to bring those back, but now we're on a tangent again. Um, detour, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're on a major detour. Uh, so I like 
I, I like that we get more of those characters that have been there the whole time, only now they actually have something to do. So what are your thoughts on Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince and the way that we all of a sudden, it kind of, it, at, at, at once, Ginny Weasley, uh, Albus Dumbledore, Severus Snape, Draco Malfoy, all kind of level up in this movie from, yeah, we're here, but we're not really that important to, oh shit, we're bringing it. Like we're kind of becoming the, the, the most important characters. Not as much Ginny, but I mean, she ends up with Harry, so that's important Spoilers. to Harry. Spoilers. Yeah. Spoilers for a like 11-year-old movie and like a what, 15-year-old book or something. Um, so what are your thoughts on the way that those characters, especially Draco and Malfoy, a sort of rise to the occasion and the way the story shifts in their direction. Did you say Draco and Malfoy? Draco. Did I say Draco and Malfoy? I think so. I'm on my third so Icelandic beer. So, so is this kind of like the similar Snape situation and, Robert and Jr.? That's right. And Don't do that. <laughs> that's a screen fix thing. I now know, we're crossing right, over. We're later. bringing gags over from <laughs> show to show. It can't be that kind of cross-pollination. You're messing with my branding, guy. Well, with, with Draco, like, with just the fact that his father is a Death Eater and... He's a magic Nazi. Yeah, and evil. There was just... It was... There's one of those situations where Draco was going to go from bully to, like, making bad decisions and becoming a bad person. So it was kind of one of those things. It It was inevitable. So... It is interesting that, yeah, so he, in those other movies, he was, like, kind of in the background, just like a bully right. and annoying, and then now, yeah, it's like he's he's up to no good. Well, well, it's, that, that's, well, well continue yeah, exactly. your thought, but I want to get to that. to be up to no good. Right. And, um, and then you really kind of get a sense of Snape, you're like, I already knew that he was up to no good. He was on the, he, he was on the fence, like, yeah. we were like, is he up to no good? Question yeah, mark. And, but then it, with this movie and how... You're like, oh my god, Snape, Snape, like straight up, not 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 good, <laughs> you know. Well, he's a he's a bad. That was that was know? the big thing leading into the release of the seventh book. Since you mentioned that, let's just bring that up. When the seventh book came out, that was like the whole marketing thing was like Snape, good or evil. And that's the thing. I didn't even watch the movies. I didn't read the. And books. you knew about that, probably. But I knew about Snape. Yeah, I'm watching Deathly Hallows Part One. I'm like. Is he good or bad? Right. Like, he's bad. He right? looks and bad. And they're like, so. Well, that's part of what's interesting about Order the, well, a Goblet of Fire? Goblet of Fire, I think. Because it raises the question, well, like, when are you, when once you're a Death Eater, are you always a Death Eater? Like, once you're a space, or a space thing, once you're a magic Nazi, are you always a magic Nazi? Can you be rehabilitated? Can you see the error of your ways and become not a magic Nazi? And that's been the question surrounding Snape. That was part of, that's a big part of Goblet of Fire because the whole, surge of Voldemort potentially returning and the Death Eaters kind of gathering and there's a Karkakoff is showing Snape his his mark and he's been like, he's coming back, yo, get ready. Circle of wagons. And the question is, well, is that, are you locked into that position or can you break out of it? And I think that that's an interesting question that they pose for Snape because he is sort of a double agent and it's like, okay, well, where does this, is, is he working with Dumbledore and sneakily like undercover with Voldemort or is he is it the other way around and I think that's a really fascinating question that they raise most pointedly in this movie which seems to answer the question but doesn't does it really um I also think it could be also compared to the mafia 
Yeah, it could that, be that, that you try to get out, and it's, just like keep pulling you back in. Yeah. Like, nope, you can't leave. You owe us money, or it's like the, kill your family. It's like The Departed, where you have a, a cop undercover with the gangsters and a gangster undercover with the cops. Um, yeah, I, I think that's really interesting. That it really delves into Snape's duplicity or perceived duplicity, uh, and the Unbreakable Vow is kind of a brilliant way to put that to the test, where it's like. It's she who must not be named. Let's just call her the author. It's the author setting that up. Like, whatever's happening here, something's going to go down because you can't break this vow. It's a magical, binding magical contract to borrow something from Goblet of Fire. Um, So the question with Snape is, is this guy, is he still a magic Nazi or is he on Dumbledore's, is he in Dumbledore's army? Is he in the Order of the Phoenix? And then what I love about the Malfoy question is that Malfoy has been in the shadow of Harry Potter ever since they both arrived at Hogwarts. You know, uh, he's been envious of his attention he's gotten, the fame he's gotten, et cetera, et cetera. And By this don't point, forget to yeah. mention that um, Harry also rejected Draco's friendship. Right. Yeah. And I think that's really what may have... Like, you don't want to make... like, uh, you don't want to make friends with the wrong kind. He looked over at Ron. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what been the big predecessor for Draco's resentment towards um, Harry, oh, the, including those other things you mentioned. Yeah, just he was rejected by Harry Potter, right. as a friend. But then, even in, though, what the hell does that even mean in well, Draco Malfoy's world? But in well, look at loyalty and look at the current administration and how loyalty, in air quotes, loyalty is kind of a mafia level uh, importance. In the you know whatever let's get back to the magic world, um, so and then after Order of the Phoenix I think Lucius was pretty much outed as a Death Eater and his shit his shit fell apart. What you know? did he do again? He he I think he got in trouble. They probably got it was Ministry of Magic. He worked there, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, I think so. And uh, I think that it was pretty became known that he's a Death Eater and their family their. Family was kind of in ruins, like not doing well financially, like not bad reputation. Like they were, they were like the the you know elite. Like they were like the the one percent in the wizarding world, and now they're like Pure on blitz. the bottom. Yeah, basically. So I think Malfoy feels like he needs to prove himself to his father, to Voldemort. Otherwise, Voldemort's going to kill him. And so the question is, yeah, you can go around and you can and you can bully Harry Potter, and you can you know be the Johnny Lawrence of Hogwarts, but ultimately, uh, I'm pouring Kai's beer right now, but ultimately, are you willing to do what it takes to dispatch the, you know, Dumbledore and the rest of the the good wizarding world, the good side of the wizarding world that he represents? And I think that's essentially where Malfoy's dilemma is. Uh, And I, I think that's really interesting that it puts this sort of secondary villain to the test of whether or not whether or not he is truly evil or just you know was raised that way and just feels like he needs to fit in like he needs to be that guy to compete with Harry Potter to try and 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 uh, I, you know eclipse, escape the shadow of the boy who lived yeah i mean i think that's kind of the question with draco from the beginning was just a bully and a punk kid or is he a bad person is he evil and this movie you know dwells into that and um 
No, no. He's not evil. He's not. Well, that's what Hermione even says. You think he would have done it? Yeah, he's complicated. Yeah, and he's like such a. He's he's like, hey, here's a cursed necklace for you, Katie. Oh, here's a here's a poisoned mead for you, Dumbledore. But he never was able to do it, and it was asked himself. That's not. And I remember. As a, by the way, you said he's complicated. And I was going to make a Nancy Myers joke about the movie It's Complicated, which came out the same year as this. So oh, it's wow. all connected. Okay. Um, hashtag it's all connected. Uh, yeah, and then the, I, I didn't, I hadn't read the books until after the movies because at that point I was, I'm more of a movie guy. So I was like, well, I'll just watch the movie and then read the book uh, after the fact. So I didn't and I'm really, opposite. I didn't really, yeah, exactly. I didn't really get the whole vanishing cabinet thing until pretty close to the end i didn't really get the connections with katie bell and the 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 cursed necklace and the poison bottle of mead and and dumbledore even calls him out and be like this doesn't seem like like you don't seem like you're just not that into it basically it was his thing and the thing with the vanishing cabinet if i remember correctly from the book that i don't think came up until the very basically kind of close to the end yeah they didn't go into they didn't do anything with like having these scenes with Draco and the vanishing cabinet and the room requirement, it just came they didn't build it up yeah. over this. Yeah, just like he's like, yeah, when you, you know, I was in the room of requirement and the vanishing cabinet, and this happened. So when does the fire happen then? Which I fire? Really, I, the, the fire of the burrows. Room of requirement. I really thought. Oh, that, that one. That's part. the uh, either. The, I think that's. I think that might be even Deathly Hallows Part Two. Okay. Um. So I just want to point this out. I made a he's just not that into you reference. Not, I missed, I'm just really plugged in right now, I guess. Also a movie from 2009. Wow. <laughs> so I'm in 2009 mindset right now. So ask me anything. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, I really like, and I noted this when we were watching the movie last night, that Dumbledore, it seems like his priority here is to save Malfoy, to save Draco's soul in a way. You know what I mean? Like he's, he sends Severus and makes him do the, uh, tells him to, commit to that because he doesn't want Draco to have to do it because Draco is on the wrong side, but not, you know, he's like Anakin Skywalker after killing the Tusken Raiders in episode two, but before murdering little he's kids, being, before murdering younglings. He's being seduced. <laughs> yeah. He's in the process of being groomed to be evil, but he's not beyond salvation at that point, basically. And so Dumbledore is valuing Draco's life over his own. Mm-hmm. And, and over Harry's. I mean, we talk about that. The, there's a sequence later, late in the movie, probably one of my favorite sequences in the film, where uh, uh, Harry and Dumbledore go on their little quest to try and retrieve one of the Horcruxes. And, you know, he's like, oh, you know, I'm going to... He cuts his hand because he's like, oh, my blood is far less, you know, far less valuable. I'm, you know, I, I'm not as... Basically, I'm not as important of you as you. My job is to help you on your journey. If I have to die to make that happen, worth it. It's, you know, it's essentially war, basically. And I, and I really think that you see, after five movies of Dumbledore, and I mentioned this with Amy Otero, five movies of Dumbledore constantly walking in there at the end and be like, listen, Harry, I fucked up. <laughs> I should have told you what was up from the beginning yeah. instead of being like, surprise, this was my plan the whole time. I did want to say something about what uh, you were talking about with, like, being... With Draco being groomed to be evil, but mm-hmm. he's not beyond salvation. We've even talked about that before, where, like, just um, personally, where when you keep con- committing bad acts, 
it makes it easier to be a bad person mm-hmm. and to continue doing it. Like you kind of lose your conscience. When did we did we talk that about in real life or on we the show? We talked about the podcast? that in real. We okay. talked about that in real life. IRL, as the kids say. Yeah, yeah, and because um, once you start going down the, the path of doing, are you now you're just quoting wrong, Yoda? Are you serious? Doing wrong, it's a lot easier to keep doing wrong and to kind of lose your conscience and compassion. For other people, so yeah. So I guess that's the kind of the thing with Dumbledore. He's like, I have to save Draco because once he kind of does that one bad, that one bad act, that bad decision, murder. Once he, once he, and that's the what you're saying perfectly dovetails into the metaphor of this series for that. Once you commit that unspeakable act of taking another life, it literally, literally in this magical world, splits your soul into pieces. So you're so would Draco have a Horcrux then after that if he had done that if he if he did if he did the spell if he did the spell to accompany it but that's it's sort of like on Buffy where like yeah you're with this guy and he seems great but then you have sex with him and he's like yeah I don't that was was nice fun time bye like that which Mm -hmm. in the world of Buffy the meta that's the metaphor but in the in the you know fantastical world he because he knows pure happiness as in uh, has a, a climax. Uh, sexually, in case that wasn't obvious, um, he then gets loses his soul, basically. So this is the metaphor for that, so how it tears, literally tears apart your soul. And I think that, yeah, that Dumbledore's priority is is uh, the kids, you know, for the kids with, um, with that. So I, I love that, that side of his story and the fact that he is, he's so blatantly at this point sees himself as a a pawn to push harry's journey forward and i think that's really fascinating to me well it's also with that too is that um my my theory is that um you know he also wants to do that for harry because he did wrong bringing voldemort tom riddle into the school in the first place so it's him trying to redeem himself and that just in that lack of judgment that he had and, and you know in good riddance for Dumbledore though you know he was trying to give this kid the benefit of the doubt and give him the well good riddance for Dumbledore sounds like you're like yeah fuck that guy no no I mean like <laughs> good you know good riddance for decision that he made you know yeah, like, props to Dumbledore yeah like you know you only you know I you only want to give people the benefit of the doubt and you don't want to like that's a good you parallel. don't want to pre-judge yeah. them but Tom that's Riddle a good. Was that's a bad dude. That's like he a, was a bad kid, and he had a really. Yeah. That's in his, is that he had a really sad upbringing. They don't even show this in the movie, but there was um, in the book there were a lot of there was a memory of him and his mother, who was a witch, and that she gave um, Tom, Tom Riddle's father a love potion, which that's what made him fall in love with her. And then the spell got broken. I forgot this because spell I haven't... End. We talk about love potions a lot in this movie, which but is, they don't even go into detail about that. There's only so much... The movie's two and a half hours as it is, and yeah. it's pretty... I mean, there's not a lot of fat on this movie. I think some of the uh, the love... Well, even the love potion stuff with Ron is, is relevant. Like, it builds mm-hmm. to the Slughorn stuff, but... But I think that the love potion with the, the mom, the right. background, the story with the mom would have been really think beneficial for viewers because that is the whole crux hey. use the horcrux of why really Tom Riddle became Voldemort um, you know in the, with Half-Blood Prince in the book 
that's the other reason I enjoyed the story so much and the movie too is because it, it further explains why Harry Potter and Voldemort are so similar and that the only really the only difference between Harry Potter and Voldemort is love mother's love and in the book it, it explains in the memory that the the mother Tom um, Tom Riddle's mother was so like forlorn over losing the love of Tom Riddle's father that she wasn't able to really give him love and like went crazy and meanwhile Tom Riddle's father was a complete was was not there he was not there and so that's why Tom Riddle grew up in an orphanage and for Harry Potter you know he knew so he was also so Tom Riddle's father was um was a buckle and his mother was a witch. So Tom Riddle, Voldemort, that even though that Death Eaters didn't know this, he was a half blood. He was a half blood. And um, well, we, the viewers, know this because in Chamber of Secrets, the memory of Tom Riddle in the diary, which again we'll get to Chamber of Secrets in a second, uh, says, "Oh, you didn't think I would take my filthy Muggle father's name?" And he has that whole thing where he says that. Yeah, exactly. So. Definitely, there's that animosity with his father, which then goes into why he starts doing what he does. It's how I think he is something I forgot the memory exactly happens in the book that he goes back to like his grandfather's house or something like that and gets the ring and kills his grandfather. And like, and here the ring is just remove any trace of his dad. And here the ring just shows up, right? Like, like uh, Dumbledore just has it. He just got it. That's and he had to burn his hand or whatever to get it. And and that's why that book is so creepy to me because you have this teenage. He's a teenager at this point. He's going to Hogwarts. He seeks out his family to kill them to remove any remnants of his father who he hates, who abandoned his mom and abandoned him. And is this something he, Voldemort did a long time ago or more recently? It was one when of his, I back? think it was one of his first murders. Oh, okay. It was one of the, I, I think forget, it was, I, I think it was one again, of the first. I've, I have read just about all the books, but it was a while ago. And for so me, it was a year ago. So yeah, exactly. It's fresh. It was, I think it was one of his first murders was that. Okay. With that ring. And that's why it's such a shame that in the, in the movies, yeah, I, you know, it's two hours and 40 minutes or two hour, two and a half hours, but like, that's such an important. Well, and then I think piece. it's also, they, they have to focus on, it, it's Harry Potter and the half footprint. So they have to focus on Harry Potter. So right, yeah. everyone that's not Harry Potter has to get trimmed out a little bit. Um, but so I think, but for me, I, like, uh, sorry. <laughs> um, I think for me, like just the psychology of why someone goes bad is so fascinating like i've always been very intrigued by that so to see to kind of see those to see those little um, nuggets of what happened to him it's, it's just like it's fascinating so i'm like wow like it, it all makes sense like it it does stem from lack of love and that love is like a foundation to 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 goodness and even look at draco malfoy i mean did, would you could anybody say that he ever really felt love in his household from his parents, from anyone, most likely not. So, so yeah. So Harry Potter and Voldemort, their lives like they're very similar, which is more explained in Deathly How Deathly Hallows. But it there's that one big difference of mother's love. So at this movie, I mean, I think I had a lot of a lot of things to respond to. That uh, one was it when you brought up Her- uh, Dumbledore's guilt for Voldemort. Like not being able to save him from the dark magic and all that other stuff, it sounded to me like 
the movie was trying to position, and this is not something I thought of until just now, basically, uh, position his, him trying to save Malfoy and his redemption for him failing to save Voldemort. There you go. And these, these books and these movies deal with para, I mean, it's again, to go back to Star Wars, last year's, uh, franchise, like George Lucas likes to say, oh, it's like poetry, it rhymes. Like, there's a lot of parallels in the books. There's a whole question of, well, Harry lost his parents. Neville lost his parents. Who's the chosen one? And they throw that in there for two seconds. And then people are like, Harry Potter. And then the next book's like, it is Harry Potter. Good job. Even though in the books, um, they talk about that a lot more. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, I said that. Oh, yeah, I said that in the sorry. books. Yeah. And in the movies, it's really become more Harry and Voldemort. And then their similarities. And well, why are they similar? Why is this? Why does Harry have you know the ability to speak parcel tongue? And why, you know, Harry can just as easily turn evil if he did made different choices. If, he, Like you said, how they had diff- very similar uh, upbringings in, way, in a way. And, Mel- and, the, and, the, and the parallel between Malfoy and Harry, you know, and Malfoy wanting to. He basically sees himself. He wants to be the chosen one, essentially. He wants to be the one that's important. He's like, he's like that's why he's like, no, I, they picked me, you know. Uh, the Dark Lord picked me to do this. I, I'm chosen. I'm important. I'm going to make this happen. I'm going to be the, the All-Valley champion <laughs> in 1984. Um, you know? So he wants to prove that he's worthy, that he's important, that, like that, that he matters. Because he's so fucking t- tired of hearing about Harry Potter. And, like, this whole thing when you're a kid, a teenager, and then, well, even an adult, that whole sense of validation and, like, yeah, not exactly. feeling that you're loved. And regardless, you know, Harry Potter, the difference between him, Voldemort, and Draco is that he did know that he was loved. He knew that his parents loved him and his parents were there next to him helping him fight Voldemort. He knows he's loved by his friends. He knows that he's loved by the Weasleys. And of course he would, you know, and he has all this money, which he, of course, he would give up if he could get his parents back. But like he has love and that sense of validation, where even in the movie, it felt like you were. Like, it, go ahead. Uh, even in the movie, she's it, Hermione's like she only likes you because you're the chosen one. He's like, well, I am the chosen. Yeah, it's a great one. line that was in all the trailers. <laughs> uh, it felt like you were building up to the punch drunk love thing because uh, we oh, only just recently no. watched that, and he's like, I have a love in my life, and it makes me more powerful than you possibly or something like that. Um, which is a great movie, by the way. Listen to our episode on that. Uh, but yeah, it feels like the movies are really trying to build that those parallels between. Harry Voldemort and Malfoy in this one, at least, and I and I I think that's an interesting angle to explore. Um, we have so much more to talk about. Um, <laughs> we really got locked into the the Malfoy of it all, which is interesting because Malfoy up until this point is not very well developed. Uh, in this episode, we also meet uh, we meet Fenrir Greyback, which is random because he just shows up and he's in the books more. Uh, but werewolves officially, you know, exist in this. We knew that already with Lupin. And we talked about briefly how there's a whole backstory with Greyback and Lupin that's not even in this, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of a bummer. But again, this is the kind of thing that gets trimmed out. Uh, and I wanted to comment on your point about love makes the difference. The whole franchise, apparently, unless you're transgender, according to the author, uh, is about acceptance and love. And 
uh, that's what saved Harry. That's the difference between him and Voldemort. That's what Harry says to Voldemort during the, the end of Order of the Phoenix when he's being possessed, like Amy and I talked about, when he's being possessed by Voldemort. And he's like, oh, I feel sorry for you because you're never going to know love or friendship. Like everybody's just like scared of you and that's why they do what they do. It's not because they're like, I will die for Voldemort. He's my, we, we love you. We're, you know, pick him. Yeah, that's what, yeah, I just yeah, said that. Yeah. Um, there's no real connection there. And uh, I think that's an interesting, yeah, it, it's, I love that. The good and evil stuff. That's what makes this franchise great. And uh, it, I want to talk about Horace Slughorn because we need to get to that. Okay. Yeah, you have something you want to um, add first. I do. Go ahead. I think that you made a really good point um, that I want to bring up. Thank you. Once again, book versus movie parallel. Um, that so I believe I believe this was in the book at Blood Prince that you know he's talking Dumbledore is talking to Harry about the Horcruxes and that they need to find them and um, and Harry said to Dumbledore well can I tell anybody and he's like and Dumbledore says to Harry Harry your friends are the most you know are so important to you in your life yes you need to have people that you can confide in. So Dumbledore even recognized the the value of Hermione and Ron in Harry's life, and that it was so important to him yeah. to be able to confide in them and have people there that he could trust. And to bring it back to, I, I mean, obviously I bring up Star Wars a lot on this in this series because I just talked about it last year, and because I am a huge Star Wars fan. But to go back to Buffy. That's the big difference. You haven't seen all of that series, unfortunately. But to go back to Buffy, that's the reason why Buffy is a, is a slayer that lives on because she's got friends, because she's got a community. She's got a team of people, friends and family that love her, that fight with her. She's got Xander and Willow and Giles and Spike. and Yeah, the Scooby gang. Exactly. She's in Anya and all Angel, who are different people, different seasons, obviously. But she's got a team of people supporting her rather than a, just a slayer going off on her own. That's why they die so fast. It's just like a one random person be like, I'm going to do it. Oh, I'm dead. And then another and person loneliness, awakens. as we're finding during the pandemic, is a very real thing yeah. for senior, for the elderly community living in assisted living places. Yeah. That loneliness is really what's killing them, right. not COVID. So, you know, the power of a community, a village... Of love. The power of love. Yeah. Yui Lewis in the love. news. We did a Back to the Future episode with Vanessa Taylor. Yeah, Listen to that. I know Harry, J.K. Rowling knew all this. You know? Shh, don't say that. We don't say that name. Don't use that name, as, as Slughorn would say. Okay, so let's go talk about See how I See how I brought Slughorn. it back? Um, so Jim Broadbent, Jim, as I wrote in my, in my notes, Jim fucking Broadbent. Great actor, Oscar winner for Iris, which we I, I've never seen. I should probably watch that. And don't forget about he was in Paddington. He is in Paddington. He's not my favorite part of Paddington, no. but he is in Paddington. My favorite part of Paddington, spoilers, is Paddington. <laughs> um, yeah. What does he say if if uh, everyone? What does he say? The I don't remember. If everyone's kind and whatever, I forget the thing Paddington says. I have to look it up now. Um, yeah. So, what are your thoughts on Jim Broadbent? We've obviously had. Up until this point, the first movie, it's Professor Quirrell's Defense Against the Dark Arts. Then it's Professor Lockhart, Defense Against the Dark Arts. Then it's Professor Lupin, Defense Against the Dark Arts. Then it's Mad-Eyed Moody, in air quotes, Defense Against the Dark Arts. Then it's Dolores Umbridge, Defense Against the Dark Arts. Now Snape finally gets the post he's been waiting for, and Slughorn takes over Potion. So here, J.K., uh, 
It's not Simmons. Simmons is the good one. JK mixes it up. Wow. JK R, Simmons. R and then S. Yeah. Wow. Well, and Simmons is, we love Simmons. He's great. Yeah. Um, uh, Jake, we got to watch Whiplash. You've never seen that. JK mixes it up and puts Slughorn in potions and Snape in defense against the Dark Arts. So should that have been the sign to us that Snape was more important to the to this story? And in tandem with that, I made a note that in hindsight, it should have been really obvious that Snape is the Half-Blood Prince because it's all potion stuff and he was the potions master and like you said he was in his classroom and everything <laughs> so it's like how did we not know how did people were not well that must be snape's book like right out the gate first of all and what do you think of uh slughorn as a character in uh in the grand tradition of this franchise bringing in a an eccentric professor every every story um i think that um slughorn was definitely an interesting character and the the way that Jim Broadbent played him was um, with like the mannerisms and the the speech was kind of a good a good angle. Um, you know, watching the movie though and how Slughorn treats his, treats his students, it's it's hard not to look at it, that he's playing favorites. Oh, he yeah, absolutely, hundred percent is. He he wants to collect the set of of but uh, the Black Family. When I was reading the trivia. It was, it's more that he's following um, meritocracy. 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 Great word. Yeah. Good job, Kai. I can't even say it. Um, that he, you know, you know word that, is he, great. <laughs> that he wants to collect those that are smart, capable, the best in their class. So it's not, so if they want, so if the other students want to be at that level, they need to be that, they need to step up and mm. like, get to that level. That's probably why he doesn't care about Ron because Ron's was like, because ah, Ron's, because uh, Ron's, Ron sucks. Cause Ron's a goober. And <laughs> that's what you said when we watched it. Did. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so he just wants to be well, around the best at the best. Right. Exactly. He can't be great. So he wants to be great by association. That's why in the beginning he's like, Oh, this person take editor of the daily prophet takes my, takes my, my owl whenever I have an opinion on what's going on. And then the other dude is like, Oh, play the other girl plays for the this team, this Quidditch team. I get tickets whenever I want. I'm like, yeah, I don't know how to. I'm not that that great as as an individual, but people know me, so I got connections. Basically. And the thing, and the reality is, is that is how it is in IRL. You know, that is very You're stealing my IRL you know, that I stole from the kids. Yeah. yeah, and that's how it is in school. Like, I mean, my my grandmother always got mad at me when I said that I have teachers that were give me would give me grades. My grandmother used to be a teacher. She's like, teachers don't give you grades. I'm like. Yes, they do. Um, but yeah, if like you're in school and you're kind of like the teacher's pet, like, yeah, I think sometimes you get better grade because of that. Um, and then same thing with definitely the corporate world. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, for sure, seeing people that are favorites of the those on top that are getting these promotions that may be getting more money. And it's all in who you know. So that's that's totally That's Slughorn's jam. Yeah. I do think, though, that it's tragic that Slughorn, you know, had this had this secret that he was ashamed of, which he should have been ashamed of. I mean, of. yeah, I would be ashamed of that. Um, and was did not feel comfortable and felt ashamed even, like, he had to tamper with that memory. Because, yeah, I mean, first, Dumbledore brings Tom Riddle to 
Hogwarts. Being like, we can so fix course, this kid. Yeah, so bad judgment there, but he was trying to see the good in him. Well, he was 11 years old, according to the credits. Like, you don't want to just be like, yeah, this 11-year-old is fucked up. <laughs> Drop him in the, like... Bane's pit from the Dark Knight Rises and leave him there until he rots. Bray a tarpet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And then definitely bad judgment on Slughorn's part to tell Tom Riddle, oh, Horcrux. But (laughs) yeah, he was basically he was basically like Viola Davis saying it's like here's how you get away with murder, pretty much. Yeah, and you mentioned it because he was scared of him. I mean, I feel like he. I mean, he was intense, dude. You even said when that scene came up, you're like, oh, here comes that creepy kid. And they tried to get the the kid from Chamber the Secrets. The other kid was more creepy. Chamber this new Secrets. kid, yeah. No, oh no, no Chamber, Chamber Secrets, Secrets kid was more creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, oh my but god. But this was that was like seven years earlier. He was like, I'm 26 or whatever. I'm not gonna be like six. I'm not gonna pass wanted, for 16 no, anymore. He wanted to play it. Yeah. And they're like, no, dude. You're too old. <laughs> you look like you're 40. You're not Ralph Macchio. Yeah, apparently. Who's like 50. We're talking about Cobra Kai a lot because we're hoping we can finish this episode and then have time to watch Cobra Kai before SNL. Let's just break it down. So um, we're like, so we're all, Ralph Macchio, who's in his mid-50s and looks like he's the same age as he was like in, in the 80s. Yeah, he still looks like he's 12. Oh, um, no, so, no, but no, like Slughorn, he's he telling him everything. I mean, why, if he's, I mean, I know he's scared of him, but wouldn't, he could still just say something like. Well, Slughorn is very, that's why he's like, oh, you're not like the other professors. You're different. As in, you're gullible and I can push you around and get the answers that I want from you really easily. Plus, I feel like, is, there's, is he manipulating him somehow? Because Voldemort, Tom Riddle keeps touching his, like, ring. I think is he, like, ring, doing some kind I of, like... that ring, because that's, that's, that's... The ring that, that's the ring that Dumbledore... Ring. Did, the one of the yes, Horcruxes. That's his grandfather's ring. I forgot that. I think that. that's, like, hypnotic or something like that. Yeah, so I think him, so. Yeah. It was, like, some, like, get out style, like, have some tea. Ding, ding, ding. That was from another movie, too. Something... No, that was from, um... Oh With the God. ring? Yes, that was from a movie we just watched. No, that was from Agent Carter. That's what it was no. from. Because we were watching that recently on Disney+. Plus. Um, but yeah, so that that's why, that's what makes Slughorn different. That's why Dumbledore, not Dumbledore, that's why Voldemort, I'm on, I have a three Icelandic beers, ladies and gentlemen. That's why Voldemort goes to him to be like, hey, what up, dude, who I can intimidate? What's a Horcrux and how do I use it? Give me everything I need to know. And he's like, okay, Jesus, and I'm scary. And then Harry Potter like, yeah, I'm going to just do the same. Well, and again, with, t- again with, game, like, with the parallel thing, though, it fits thematically with, also, what if I'm going bad? Yeah, he's, he's not very also, smart. He's not very creative. He's like, but what up? What did you do? And, and he's like, he does this. He just like, quotes the same lines that Voldemort, excuse me, Tom Riddle said. And then, and then he's like, oh, yeah, is that what you said when Tom Riddle asked you? And Slughorn's like, Jesus, you're scary. I'm running away. And the thing is, is also Tom Riddle had been in Slughorn's class. And, like, he knew him more than just, what, like, one or two instances with Harry Potter. And also... I mean, they've been going to classes every week or whatever, but two. And also knowing that Harry Potter was Voldemort's enemy. Right. And he was the chosen one. So it just... Dumbledore put you up to this. It was yeah, pretty fast no, for him to figure that out. dude. Yeah, he's not very he's subtle. Doofus. He's not very subtle, yeah. but Ron's a goober. Harry's a doofus. And Hermione's just way too good for the rest of this, these kids. I think is what we're saying, right? Yeah, that's what. This should have been Hermione Granger and the stupid assholes she has to hang out with. They should have called this. Um, that's and that's honestly that's been one of my biggest takeaways. I'm like, fuck Hermione's cool, and Emma Watson should be in more things. Uh, I mean, I know she was in Beauty and the Beast, which is kind of a whatever movie. But why is she not like like a huge star? Like you know? Maybe she doesn't want to be a huge star. <sighs> she should Doesn't be. She go to she's great. Or something. She's like thirty now. Get oh, over. She's out of that oh, okay. now. Probably. Wasn't she going? To- 
Yeah, I think she was one of those smart, uh, famous people, like Natalie Portman. They do exist. They do. I mean, I'm not saying that they don't, but I mean, like, one of those, like, notoriously, notoriously academic, I guess. Let's put it that way. Because, um, yeah, Hermione, we'll get to the love stuff in a second. So, I, I love, um, I do really enjoy Jim Broadbent in this and most things I've seen him in. And I love the fact, getting into the Tom Riddle of it all, that this is essentially... Chamber of Secrets Part 2 in some regards. The only thing we don't revisit in this movie uh, is Dobby, who comes back in the next one. Spoilers. Oh, yeah, Dobby. And then the actual Chamber of Secrets. We get back the riddle, uh, Tom Riddle's diary. Like, There's a lot of elements from that story that this feels like it's building on. And to your point earlier about all the Tom Riddle flashbacks, it feels like this is like the relative calm before the storm where... It's giving you the backstory of Tom Riddle so that y'all can be up to speed for when Deathly Hallows comes and the big show the big builds to the big showdown between the two so that you understand where Voldemort's coming from more. And, of course, you've been watching Harry's story the whole time, so when they come face-to-face, as in that poster for the last movie, which is just the two of them in their wands, like, it all ends. I'm like, okay, I guess it's going to be there. Um, uh, so that that feels like a culminating it, it feels more epic the stakes are higher you know yeah this is where where the the threads and they just like kill people in these movies oh like, and like you said after the fourth yeah. one people just die right which Fucking is Dumbledore. yeah i know well then a fourth one is cedric fifth one is Sirius black sixth one is dumbledore seventh one is spoilers the, everybody the house elf that i just mentioned no the, the movies i'm saying dobby and spoilers mm. for people listening to this uh that's that's the deal in these movies after a certain point. That's why I'm kind of curious if they're going to do illustrated versions of the, the ones where all the kids die. Um, but this is a very potions-heavy one. This is the most potions-heavy. There's the uh, the love potions that is liquid luck. There's the potions textbook that is the title de- you know device for the whole movie. So what were your thoughts on, I think a lot of people, including you know friends of mine, felt that this movie was focusing too much on the love triangle and the romantic bullshit with the kids and not enough on Voldemort's past and the, you know, the heavier, darker elements. Do you feel like the David Yates, the director and the uh, screenwriter, Steve clothes, that they got the balance off that in here, they're more like they're focusing so much more on Hermione likes Ron, but Ron's dating Lavender Brown, and she only likes him because he's bullshit. Uh, yeah. Do you? Okay. Yeah. I, Go. It, yeah. Elaborate it me on out that. that. Like in in this movie, the reason I like the Half Blood Prince book is because they talk. You know, they have the Tom Riddle memories, and it yeah. was just like so powerful to kind of get that backstory. And yes, it's Harry Potter, but it. I wanted to see that in this film and they didn't really do that. And like, I really kind of actually don't even feel like some of the love potions even got that much detail in the books. I, mm-hmm. I don't, at least I don't remember them cause, cause they were kind of boring. And, um, I'm still wondering why Hermione was even in Toronto in the first place. He's but a goober anyway. as previously established. Yeah. I wrote Danny was a dick, but you wrote goober, but he's not, he's not a dick all the time. He's a dick in that one scene, which we'll get to. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was a lot about the love triangles that, that I didn't really feel like was... Did you care necessary. about it? Were you invested in that? Or were you like, no, no I don't care, dude. Get back away from this. No, I didn't care. Oh, see? I'm, I like that I shit. Mean, I mean, like, I think... That's, I think, the difference there. Just, for me, I would think I was more frustrated with Hermione because she was getting mad at Ron for 
getting with um, Lavender, but like her and Ron weren't even. They weren't together. They were friends. And I know. He well, went into the relationship with love, and she's yeah. like all mad at him. And I'm like, but you're not even communicating to him that you even like him. Kind of, I mean, if you have eyes and you're not a freaking idiot teenage boy, which I mean, I was at one point anyway. But it's kind of clear if you're paying attention that she does like him. But we're watching as as she's like that one scene that that part that I quoted back to you yesterday when we were watching it. When he's like, oh, I don't like Dean over there hanging out and snogging my sister. And she's like, oh, what if Ginny came over and looked over here and you were snogging me? Like, what's it going to do? And she's like all awkward about it. It was super adorable. I don't understand why he's not like on that. And I'm not saying like, I'm not saying objective, like objectifying Hermione. I'm saying on that relationship. Like he should be on. He's too good for him. Like, well, yeah, duh. That's like the understatement of the franchise. Hermione is great. Like I can't. Maybe subconsciously, this is what he's thinking. Maybe it could yeah, be. Yeah, no, it would have been nice. You're if right. They, if they've spent more time on Tom Riddle, Voldemort's memories than the love potion, which, like I said, I don't even think it even got that. But you much can also in the books. But there's also a kids movie. I was gonna say these are movies for air quotes kids. You can't make it PG, too. You PG. can't. <laughs> yeah, it shouldn't be PG. What? I mean, you can't make it too scary. So more of the Dumbledore's, uh, the Voldemort. You know why I keep doing that? The Voldemort stuff would have made it more scary, first of all. Secondly, this is also for preteens and teens who are invested in the, the romantic love triangle crap. Uh, and who's dating who. And, oh, Ginny's dating Dean Thomas and, da, 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 and all that stuff. Um, so I think that's part of why they focused on that. But also they've been building to Ron being with Hermione since the like since pretty early on it seems kind of obvious they have a connection at least the third one they're kind of teasing things like like they might like each other but they're like awkward about it because they're kids and they're friends and it's like where's that line uh the harry Ginny thing comes out of nowhere so that's just like uh, sure okay whatever he feels like he's part of the way together i guess Um, she's she um she's the girl that marries her brother's best friend pretty much she is yeah she is um and by the way i wrote this down too harry got game like harry in the beginning of the movie is like all set to like go on a date with that waitress after she gets off uh not that was not a an innuendo (laughs) i didn't mean it that way gets off from her job uh, so I like that. I think that's that, you know, they're, they're illustrating how much these characters have grown that now they're like, hey, we want we want love lives, too. Uh, we get a little of that in the last couple. But now it really kind of comes to a head. So the scene that I was talking about a few minutes ago uh, is when, of course, Hermione is heartbroken with Ron and he's like making out with Lavender and and she's upset and she has the bar- birds going after him. I really feel for Hermione and I get emotional on her behalf. Like, I root for the Ron Hermione thing mostly because I want Hermione to be happy, not because Ron deserves her. Because Ron is the doofus of the group. Ron He's is over. the. If this was Lord of the Rings, Ron is like the Pippin of the Hobbits, not Wait, even the Merry. Well, you want some trivia? So apparently, Lavender, the actress that played Lavender, was recommend was referred by Emma Watson. Oh, that's they, funny. They auditioned like thousands of girls and. The actress that got Lavender's part didn't even audition. Oh, wow. Yeah, so... I mean, she's good in her role as the kind of awestruck, obnoxious teenage girl where we're all just like, oh, God, get over it. She's not that find, great. I just did find it annoying in the books, though. And um, and I... Okay, and I know you didn't talk about this yet, but... Sure. Because we're now, we're now, like, in the middle of the movie, but... We're kind of was, all over the place. There was a note that I made um, 
So it was in the beginning of the movie where they're on the train and Harry's wearing the invisible invisibility Invisib- cloak. Yep. And um, it kind of bums me out with the movie that Draco, like you don't even hear what Harry's overhearing like he does in the book. And because that was kind of like the whole impetus to why is it anything? What does he hear in the book that is again? Because I don't. It's been different than what's already shown. Yeah. Other than Malfoy might be up to some shady stuff, and that's all you need to hear, right? Right. But it was like all the impetus of why he got an invisibility cloak and why he got his ass kicked by Draco, which actually was worse in the book. Yeah. But it's like, why did they? They didn't even show that, like what Harry overheard. Well, it sounds like you. It's. As you just said, it doesn't sound like it was anything particularly interesting. So it's like, why do they even? So it's like, why do they even show that? That he's like being because he's him getting like being the, late to school. His suspe- his suspicion of Malfoy already from that point early on in, on in the story because that carries over throughout the rest of the movie where he's like eavesdropping and hearing him talk to uh, hearing Malfoy talk to Snape about like oh I need to do this and blah 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 like remember there's that scene which by the way this movie got like a lot of positive remarks for its cinematography I think it is really well shot I, I, I think that all of these movies really look great but this one in particular there's certain like it has a more meditative quality to it than most of the movies up to this point that I think is really interesting I think Order of the Phoenix has moments of that too what do you what do you mean by that like it's more like quiet character beats character moments like they let the emotion happen like you hear you see sort of in a, from a distance Snape and, and Malfoy talk about the unbreakable vow and then the camera just like pans over slowly and, and reveals Harry kind of listening in. Things like that. Like it's very deliberate and um, measured, the, the filmmaking at this point. I think David Yates has kind of proved himself a pretty steady hand with this franchise, which is why Warner Brothers has just been like, here's a dump truck full of money. Make more. And he's like, sure. I mean, I was doing like British TV movies before this because he literally wasn't doing like big movies until these movies were offered to him. Isn't that crazy? Like, I wonder what that's like for these directors that have done smaller type projects and then they get this big, you know, truck full of money and this opportunity. And like, if that's intimidating, you know, because it's that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another trivia point is that Emma Watson, um, and you can see this in some articles that came out recently, Emma Watson actually had a crush on Tom Felton, who played Rico Malfoy in the movies. And he's like a couple of years older than the other kids. Then, yeah. And Which, yeah, she had a crush on Like him. you said, he, he, he looks like he's a couple years older. Like he looks like he's 35, trying to been playing 17 or whatever. And he's not, but. He's like 23 or whatever. Um, I want to run through a few other things. Uh, we talked about Hermione and how Ron's clearly inferior to her on basically every level. Attractiveness, acting, intelligence, just like all of that. Hair. Uh, yeah, she's got great hair. Um, uh, that even Dumbledore. And skin. Even Dumbledore, <laughs> even Dumbledore in this movie is like, so what's up? He's basically like sidles over to hair and he's like, what up, bro? You hitting that? Kind of thing, and then and Harry's like, no, no, we're just friends. And Harry, Dumbledore's like, really? Are you sure? Because it's either like, you or Ron. Yeah, would Hermione be more into Harry than Ron? No, she's into Ron. I know. I don't get it. It's you know whatever. There's always you know, I'm not gonna judge in other people's fictional well, even relationships. Even J.K. Rowling's like, I don't know what I did. I screwed up. You mentioned the name we shouldn't have said again. Uh, also, Baby Voldemort, played by Ray Fine, who plays Voldemort's uh, nephew. 
Ray Fine doesn't play Voldemort's nephew. Ray, Ray Fine plays Voldemort. It's his Ray Fine's nephew playing eleven year old Voldemort, which I think is interesting. Uh, I, I I love how this whole thing is basically very Inception style. We mentioned that the whole thing ends up being about Harry uh, being asked by Dumbledore to let Slughorn collect him so that he can get the memory to find out what the hell Voldemort was up to. Here's my he, question. Why did he use that word collect? That's very because, interesting choice of words. Because he has the whole like mantle, like, oh, these are all the people I've the students I've I've taught. Like like the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. I, it's he considers them like a part of his like he says at the beginning, he says, Oh, you know, I taught all the blacks except for Sirius, but I would have liked to have had the set. You know, he he's yeah. he very much sees that as like it's his legacy and the students that he teaches and things like and, that. So, and, and actually, more description about that trivia is that he did not teach Sirius, but that, Sirius yeah, was in. But oh I no, he that. taught no, he taught Sirius, but he didn't have Sirius in Slytherin. Sirius was the only black that was not in Slytherin. Uh, he was so. in Gryffindor. Yeah, I think so. I think that's how he became friends yeah. with the. These movies give make Slytherin look really bad, but there are Slytherins that are not evil. It's just. In these movies, it seems like they are. If you're in Slytherin, you're if you're evil, you're in Slytherin. But my one of the distinction I'm trying to make is, if you're in Slytherin, you're not necessarily evil. But if you're evil, you're probably in Slytherin. Right, exactly. But not all the Slytherin. They're not mutually exclusive. It's an SAT question. Yeah, it's there's a whole there's a lot of quizzes on which house of. Uh, which you know, which Hogwarts house are you in? I'm obviously Hufflepuff. I feel like I'm uh, one of the. I'm 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 even I mean I'm probably a Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff. I, I don't to be know. Ravenclaw. I don't know. I don't know where I am. I have to look into it. I feel like I'm one of. I'm obviously one of the two houses nobody really talks about that we just mentioned. <laughs> Neither one of us was like I'm brave like a Gryffindor or I'm like self focused like a Slytherin or whatever. I want power like a Slytherin. We're just like no, we probably just like live our lives and chill. I don't know. Um, <laughs> the two houses nobody. Cares cares about uh, uh i love that we get more quidditch in this movie but who cares because it's boring um <laughs> god what gloomy weather is there yeah Jesus. it really sucks like the like the weather for quidditch is like so snowy and cold and oh so going back to the romantic stuff now that we're finding our, our our rhythm here again i i really like the fact that harry and hermione have that bond Ding moment, bonding moment over Hermione being heartbroken. Ron, like I said, and she gets so emotional, and I'm like, oh, Hermione, he sucks. Get over it. Um, and then Ron, um, Harry's like, it feels like this, like when when he sees Ginny with Dean, because apparently he likes Ginny out of nowhere. Um, so I like that scene. I love the. I actually really like. I know it's not in the. It's not the way it happens in the book. Uh, but I really like the Harry and Ginny in the room of requirement, their first kiss. I think that's really sweet. And again, see what I mean? Kind of quiet and like very character focused. And like, it's just like a very understated scene. It's not very CG heavy. It's not very rushed. It's not very, you know what I mean? It's not, yeah. it's very kind of chill. And like, like I said, made it meditative and it's in, in, in the point that it's trying to make. I love that. I love the fact that Harry is like, I need to bring someone to this party, someone cool. And he thinks of, possibly the most underrated character in these last few movies, fucking Luna Lovegood, who is so cool. He, I agree with Harry. He, she is super cool. I kind of wanted Harry, I kind of would prefer Harry with Luna over Ginny, but Neville get, ends up with Luna, so that's cool too. I like, I like Oh, Neville, I forgot right. about that. Neville, well, Neville's hot now, so in these movies he was a kid, now he's hot, so. There's also the author wanted, I think wanted Harry to more feel like 100% 
part of the Weasleys. So by marrying <laughs> Jenny, he's not just his, you know, Ron's best friend that kind of was adopted by the Weasleys. He's now the their son-in-law, their son. So right. I think he's officially a Weasley by marriage. Because honestly, even in the books, I'm like, I don't get the big deal with Jenny. Like I just, I just, I mean, I think that he just kind of came to. Fall in love with her as time was going on. He He's like, you look up. like Ron, my best friend, only with boobs. So sure. Pretty much. Is that what you think? You're I like, guess. I guess. Well, actually, she's better than Ron, though. I mean, she is better than Ron. She's braver than Ron. She's not less obnoxious than, than Ron. Uh, Ramelda Vane is really pretty, too. But yeah, yeah, she yeah. has no bearing on the story other than. She's the hot girl that's into Harry because she thinks he's the chosen one, which he is. Um, so I wrote down magic teens and love. So I love what we're I, I love that we're getting to all the the romance stuff. But yeah, I really I'm really invested in the romance stuff. I like that. That I'm a softie when that comes to that crap. I want the I, creepy. I, yeah, you know you want which the which is weird. Which is weird because in generally in other movies. You're like, I like the lighter, lighthearted things. And I'm like, yeah, the dark shit. Actually, and you're like, I have to say, this? though, like with even with the with the with the books, I'm just, it's good that they I mean, I wish I, and I say this. I do wish I had spent more time on the memories. But like just as myself and knowing me, I'm like, I'm glad they did it because he was freaking creepy at the books. And I don't want I don't want any more that he was creepy in the movie. He's just the couple of memories they have where he's like, oh, tell me more of the work. They kept, like, they, ah, they kept the memories that are more plot, more more relevant, more necessary to the rest of the story. The other stuff was background, but not necess- not needed f- to push the plot forward. Remind me. Um, and we're going to... I'm going to remind you. I might not Yeah, you might remember. Me, well, you've seen these movies more than me. Oh, okay. But fair. I thought it was going to be a book thing. I was going to be like, pff, is, I don't remember. I, I don't know if it's a book, a book thing or a movie thing. Uh-huh. Deathly Hallows doesn't talk about defense against dark arts, does it? Is about how it? the position is cursed? Yeah. Mm, I don't believe so. Okay, it's all half-lived friends, isn't it? Okay, yeah, so that's another important thing to note, is that... Well, it's also, they never, as I've mentioned on previous episodes, they never talk about the Marauders map. There's a lot of background stuff that they just like, eh, not important. But this is, I mean, I guess I feel like all the memories right. with Voldemort no, you're not, are important. You're, you're not incorrect with that. Because he's an evil person who fascinates me. Um... So the whole thing with so in Half Blood Prince of the book, the um, one of the other memories was where Tom Riddle came to Dumbledore and he was like, and he was trying to go for the position position of defense of dark arts. He had at that point he had murdered his grandfather. Okay, so he was already out of Hogwarts and was kind of going again, like going on his murdering adventures. And so he came back to Hogwarts to go. <laughs> Harry Potter, yeah, the, the, Tom Riddle and his murdering adventures would be like the companion piece to this. Yeah. Um, wait for her to write it. And um, he goes to Hogwarts. And at this point, Professor uh, Dumbledore is the headmaster. And he says, I want to buy for the Defense Against the Dark Arts position. And Dumbledore, being as clever as he is, he's like, I can't allow you to have this. And basically the whole thing with you know, the whole thing with it is that that position then became cursed because of I remember Tom this Riddle. In the book now, yeah. And, you know, that's why they were never able to find anybody. And Voldemort, I guess, wanted to be Defense Against the Dark Arts professor because... He wanted to learn about the dark arts? Yeah. And, you know, and Dumbledore at that point was already up to speed on kind of the fact that Tom Riddle was a bad dude and clearly didn't want to give him that type of power. So mm-hmm. that... So that's kind of 
what ex- that further explains why this this blasted um, teaching role just can't ever seem to be filled consistently because Voldemort cursed it. Right. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. I remember that from the books, I, and it's an interesting bit of. I mean, I don't know if how necessary it is to the plot of this movie but it, it, it's a cool detail that they never really like so many others never i don't think really ever found a place for again it's been a while since i've watched either of the deathly hallows so i i'll have to i'm sure you'll be sitting around when i watch those so uh, we'll probably. have to very ver- verify that together oh gosh i don't want to watch the dancing scenes around the fire pl- the oh it's fire like one pit. scene yeah see i feel like the seventh one yeah i just said earlier praise this movie for being like a little more reflective and like 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 deliberate like you know even giving like those character beats and taking time for that and not just rushing through chapter by chapter like the first few movies the first two especially you can be like and chapter one and five minutes later chapter two and five minutes later chapter three like it doesn't have that episodic feeling it feels more cohesive but then i i do agree with you i feel like seven is the one where they're like all right this is like slow now let's move guys like it's just them hanging out in the camping outside for like parts of it um so I, I I haven't seen those as nearly as much as the other ones. I am realizing as we're talking about this that uh, this one feels like it introduces a lot. It feels like it expands the world a lot less than any of the other previous ones. You know what I mean? Like the pensive is in this one, which we've seen before. There's potions in this one. Yeah, there's different potions in this one than we've seen in the previous movies. There's liquid luck and then the, the whatever the love potion is, as opposed to Veritas Serum, which is in the last one, and Polyjuice Potion, which is in multiple previous ones, but it's just other potions. Um, there's Sectum Sampra, which is the like the attacking spell uh, from the Half-Blood Prince's book, things like that. But I feel like for the most part, minus the Horcruxes, which aren't really relevant until the next one. Yeah. This movie is just like, hey, more of that stuff you've seen. And also, look, they're all dating now. What? You know, they don't really yeah. develop things as much. And maybe that's part of why some people felt this was a disappointment. I, because it's more focused on the characters and less on the world and less on p- developing forward. And in some ways, and now, you know, when this came out, we had only a couple, we were only a couple movies into this franchise. But it, it feels almost kind of... Uh, kind of Marvel-esque in that it feels like a setup movie for the next movie. You know how when you watch Age of Ultron, you're like, that was cool, but it feels like you brought all these characters in to do something interesting that they never got to do because you're saving them from the next movie, really? You know what I mean? And I feel like this is like, like I, I, I even referred to it when we were watching it as Deathly Hallows Part Zero. Mm-hmm. It's basically like the prelude to the real... Yeah, like double part, uh, two part finale of the franchise, and I feel like, in large part, it's just kind of keying things up for that. Um, I I do, as we said, I do really love that the Horcruxes, how that the metaphor of that, the fact that it finally explains why Voldemort was a little ghost spirit thing in the first movie, living on the back of some dude's head, and then later like a little tiny man baby that they threw in a in a bowl. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they had to do all this wacky dark magic to make him form into a noseless person. Um, so I think all of that is is really cool and it's a really interesting idea. But again, it's this movie is just about finding out, uncovering that idea. This movie is just two and a half hours of research into, oh, Horcruxes, that's what you wanted and to know. And don't forget, Ray Fiennes wasn't even in this. Voldemort wasn't I know. in this movie. He was, and I forget that. Yeah. 
Because this is the one that you're right. There's the first one, Voldemort is in the back of Quirrell's head. Second one, he's a memory. So he's not really in it. Third one, he's not in it at all. Like there's zero Voldemort in the third movie. Fourth one, he's in at the very end for 10 minutes or whatever. And that great, uh, that great cemetery sequence that Freddie and I talked about. Fifth one, he shows up again at the very end of the movie. This one, he's not in at all. And you don't really see Voldemort from beginning to end in any of these movies until the last ones. Like they really hold back on him. Until he, you know, for maximum impact. Uh, and here we get, the most we get is flashback Voldemort. Like, like Chamber, again, like Chamber of Secrets. It's Chamber of Secrets Part 2. Kind of uh, setting that up. Yeah. But the scene, though, with the, the, the scene, though, we need to talk about is the Do one it. in the, the cave. Because that was very, you know. Very, I love it. Very hard to watch. I, I sort of mentioned tragic. it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, very tragic. And it's it's like... You know, and when you find out that it was Regulus is fake, it was a bullshit. Well, they're gonna get to more of that. Rabs, yeah, he says it's that. He's like, it's not even real. It's fucking all this it's is a like waste. Heartbreaking because, and it wasn't for nothing because it, Dumbledore obviously had a plan, right. but um, but it's what Harry says. Yeah, but it's just like it's that's just so hard to watch Harry having to do that to to Dumbledore, somebody he loves and. It's like you said with your analogy that it's like a a person that's suffering from Alzheimer's dementia. You, you're, like, you're tapping into my yeah, notes. Yeah, go yeah. for it. That was, you know, it's like, why are you treating me this way? And not realizing it's for their own good because, you know. And that it's what Dumbledore said to, for him to do. He's like, if I say run, you run. If I say leave me behind and save yourself, you do it. And, and he even says, if you have me drinking this, if I might beg for mercy, whatever, you keep me drinking this. And Harry's following his orders. But at that point, like, he's like you know, it's like, yeah, it's, it's exactly, that's exactly what it is like. So I feel like someone watching this that has a family member in that situation, that might make them like tears stream down their face. Because that, that, in that moment, because of the potion, and again, it's all magical metaphor, whatever, it's, that's what makes sci-fi, fantasy, and horror so interesting is how you use fantastical supernatural elements to relate real-life concepts to, to people without them you know, being like, this is boring, or like, getting defenses up or whatever. Um, he doesn't know who Harry is. He's just like, why are you making me do this? Leave me alone. He even says, kill me. Because he's like in agony, like it's making him physically ill because he doesn't understand what's happening. He's so confused. He doesn't even know who he is in that in that moment. And it's really like you said, it's really heart wrenching to watch. And Michael Gambon, who had to step in in the third movie after Richard Harris passed away, is so good in this role. I think the third one, he, he's in it less and I think that's partially because of the way the book is, but that's also partially because they were easing into a new Dumbledore. He really comes into his own in this in this role over the last couple of movies, and I, I don't know. You forget he's, Richard Harris. Yeah, you forget Richard yeah. Harris because he uh, Dumbledore is just feels like an entirely different character because he's his performance style is so different. He's more of a like. For lack of a better term, hippie. He's more like a free spirit. He's more way. He embodies more of that whimsical nature that that Dumbledore has in the books. I feel like more so than in the first two movies. Um, and Michael Gambon just he he sells it completely. And I and I think he is the key to why that sequence and the uh, his death scene really are are so emotionally impactful. In the way that when I talked with Amy about 
Order of the Phoenix, I feel like Sirius Black's scene, death scene was so quick and so abrupt, and I know it's meant that way, but for me, it was so abrupt that I was like, oh, he's dead. Oh, uh, okay. Like, it didn't even register. I wasn't even like, I didn't even feel like I had time to mourn, to be sad. I was just like, oh, that's it? That's his big death. Like, I knew that's his big death scene. That's it. He's done. Like, Dumbledore had moment has that weight with him having the conversation with uh, Malfoy, with him telling Severus, please. Which and we don't the, realize what it's about. Right, until exactly. The first, yeah. until death with and with the one. slow motion to fall off the tower, like it's more dramatic. Everybody puts their wands in the air, kind of in tribute to him, and also to to clear the dark mark over the castle. All of that stuff. I, it's 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 good shit, man. So with um, so yeah, I think that that was a really powerful scene, and he definitely um, came into his own. But on a a more author note. It's interesting that <laughs> more author note. It's interesting that she Don't you say that name. <laughs> that she's been getting a lot of yeah. backlash lately on her thoughts on the trans community when right. she which part of the trivia that I was reading about with Half Blood Prince is that it was during an interview that she it was during the making of the, I think this movie where they're like, oh, and he has a, they, we want to talk about his... Oh, his, double his, his sexuality? His sexuality. And she's like, no. Like, well, she's he, like, he, what he, up? He's gay, he so... Love, 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 for, love loss or whatever. She's like, Dumbledore's gay. Yeah. And he, he loves Grindelwald. And it's she like, was very matter-of-fact about yeah, it, I remember. And like, I'm like, okay, so this person who is so, like, you know, actually writes this character to be gay... Is so against this the trans community. It just it it's it's just, weird. It doesn't really feel like it. Strange. It feels like what what like, happened? What, the, yeah, exactly. what, what happened, happened to you, happened? J.K. Over that decade or so? Like who hurt you? Yeah. Like how did that? Yeah, exactly. It's very I don't strange. Know. It, is. it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, um, but yeah, it's a very um, powerful scene. So what? I, the question I though is why? So so he's feeding. So Harry's feeding Dumbledore the the potion. The potion. And then he finds a locket. So he couldn't just dip his hands in the potion. No, it wouldn't let it wouldn't let him. Oh, because that was the, it's magic, Kai. That's your right, answer to everything. Is it's magic, right? Of course. Okay. It's that's the the spell was yeah it's to prevent that from happening. Um, I also want to point out that the score in this movie is great, particularly in that sequence that you're talking about uh, by Nicholas Hooper. Did the score in this one? I think he did Order of the Phoenix as well. Um, I really love, I, I used to listen to the score to these movies quite a bit. And I feel like now that we just watched this, I'm going to have to bust that one out, uh, again, because we do that. The, uh, it, it's in fury in the firestorm is the, the track It's only like two minutes, but that when, when Dumbledore snaps out of it and rescues Harry and is, you know, conjures the firestorm and is clearing out the in fury, I think are those. Those are the the zombie creature things that are climbing up, I believe. I'm not sure. Uh, But I I love that. The music is great. He says, and the whole thing that he prefaces it with, once again, I must ask too much of you, Harry. I'm like, Jesus, dude, leave this kid alone. (laughs) He just wants to date Jenny Weasley and and live live his life. Um, A couple more things I wanted to point out. I do feel like generally, even though this movie has, up to this point, one of the more tragic endings, probably this and then Cedric's death, which, again, I forgot to mention this on the Goblet of Fire episode with Freddy, but Cedric's father, uh, I forget his first name, Mr. Diggory, let's call him, coming out and being like, that's my son, that's my boy. Like, I forgot to bring that moment up because especially now being a parent myself, 
that really that used to make me cry when I was when I was in my 20s and watching that. But even now, especially being a father also, that's very powerful and, and emotional. And I, and I feel like this is one of the other like most tragic endings because of Dumbledore's death up to this point. But it's also the movie is weirdly one of the most lighthearted ones, like in the last couple, like since Dumbledore came uh, since God, Voldemort. Why can't I keep getting Dumbledore and Voldemort mixed up <laughs> when Voldemort comes back? Uh, and it's also one of the more self-aware because I feel like at this point, and this is something that, and you'll, you people will hear, uh, my, my conversation on Saw in a couple weeks or, uh, like wait, next week after this episode airs, uh, posted. I know it's been a while. Um, just like Saw 6 becomes like, we have to just like, it, it embraces sort of a like very macabre sense of humor that's not in the previous ones because I think they're just like well shit we're on the sixth one we gotta mix it up and add a new element here at this point this is the one where where Dumbledore at the beginning is like hey by now you must be wondering why I brought you here Harry and Harry's like dude I don't know I just roll with it because I, this is my sixth movie so when you say do this I'm like sure and then uh, the, the the three kids the three main kids are brought to, in front of McGonagall and she's like why is it always you three <laughs> Or like Hermione is like, I was looking over there and then like the library and they're like, yeah, of course, that's what she does. And like, this is the most self-aware of the Harry Potter. This is where the Harry Potter movies are like, we know you're watching a Harry Potter movie. We're getting to the end. Hang in there. Let's just acknowledge the fact that, yeah, we've all lived through several of these movies. So uh, we're getting there. We're winding it down. Don't get off our ass. Uh, so I think that was interesting. What do you want to say something? I can um, tell. Well, we were talking about the tower. Yeah. Um, the Dumbledore's death so the fact that snape now killed dumbledore oh, whether or not okay. we have his motives right wouldn't that mean that his soul now has split into i two? think there's a i'm not sure i'm not the kind of person that has murdered people nor that's good to created know. horcruxes based on that but i feel like there is a some kind of spell or dark magic element that has to go into play in tandem with that act to do that because like otherwise like what you said There'd be the, yeah, Snape would have Snape is is a, was is a reformed Death Eater, so presumably he's done bad things before in service of the Dark Lord. Uh, he's the only one. I feel like he's the only one that calls him that. Right, Dark Lord. Oh, R.I.P. Alan Rickman, by the way, yeah. who is great in this movie and weirdly, like I said, the second title character, but also not in it as much as you would think based on that. I think maybe because they're trying to just like keep it close to the chest but like i said earlier with maggie smith a little alan rickman goes a long way uh i also wanted to point out a couple other questions that i had for you one the do you feel like there was enough focus on the actual textbook that was the half-blood princes in this movie uh because i feel like when he does the sanctum sempra on snape he's like he trusted you or whatever, and he deflects it. He's like, use my own spells against me. That's right, I am the Half-Blood Prince. I feel like the movie hasn't brought that book up in like an hour, and people watching this movie that aren't like hardcore Potterheads or like really into these films would be like, oh yeah, that thing, that book that he had that I forgot about because I don't care, because I'm more focused on who Ron is dating uh, or whatever. No, uh, that's, no, that's a really good point. Yeah. Again, it goes back to the balance being off. Yeah, I. I mean, I do think that in the book it was referenced more. Yeah, and had more. Just like when that announcement happened, it was. This is. It was stronger. 
right? This is the second, again, to go back to my, my, my earlier reference, this is the second of six Harry Potter movies to hinge on the fact that Harry Potter finds a mysterious book that once belonged to someone maybe bad, and that movie does a better job threading the Tom Riddle's diary thing throughout the course of the film than this one does. Like the, the, the diary, the, the textbook is key until it's not anymore. <laughs> you know, he, she, he hides it and then they don't bring it up. And I feel like enough stuff happens that you might forget that that's even in play at that point. Cause you got the Malfoy things, you got all the romantic stuff, you got Dumbledore and their little side quest. Uh, I feel like there's a lot of other things going on. And Malfoy doesn't go to class anymore, right? Apparently not. So what he's, the hell does he do? He's he's mending that vanishing cabinet. What did he do to mend the vanishing cabinet? Because all he saw him magical do was, stuff. I don't know. All he saw him do was magic put stuff. Birds in there, and then then die or an yeah, apple and things like that. Yeah, but like, what but I love and I love the fact this is again because every movie, every one of these stories takes place over the course of an entire school year. I feel like the big question at the end of it is, did this shit really need to take nine months? Like, couldn't you be just be like, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a, job. here's a can of Coke. Oh, Harry Potter touched it. It's a port key and it brings him to the graveyard. Like, why did it have to be, we got to get him. We got to slip his name into the cup. Right. You with me. Then he has to survive all the tasks. Then the trophy at the end that we'll cross our fingers and hope that Harry Potter touches will bring him to the graveyard because we need his blood to bring Voldemort. Like, that seems like really overly convoluted. These people but, are very patient. But yes, well, yeah. But I, every, like, every step of their plan takes like a year. Um, but I like the fact that in this one, they just said, all right, or Draco, um, at some point this year, you got to kill Voldemort, uh, Dumbledore, Jesus. Um, you guys to kill Dumbledore. And he's like, all right, cool. I got you. And he, and, and the reason it takes him a year is because he's just really shitty at his job <laughs> that he does because he doesn't really want to murder someone. He's like, how do I like, what if I like kind of murder someone and I drop this here and then oops, that thing ends up causing someone else to die, but it's not on me because I didn't deliver it myself, even though it's kind of indirect murder. Uh, the- so I love that, that that's the explanation is that Malfoy's like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. Well, so I am curious, though, because this wasn't really made clear in the books. It wasn't made clear in the movies. But to go back to Snape and how he's like a reformed dark lord, and then you have um, in the earlier sequence of the movie that um, Draco's mom, Narissa, comes to Snape. and she Narcissa, goes, yeah, Narcissa. Comes, it's cool. like, oh, yeah, i got to make this unbreakable vow with you. I kind of also feel like that came out of nowhere, that Snape was so close to Voldemort for Voldemort to even tell him this. It kind of comes out of left field. That Voldemort I, trusts Snape so much? Yeah. Like, it yeah. Didn't, they didn't make that clear anywhere. I think S- Voldemort thinks that Snape is an undercover person with Dumbledore and vice versa. I don't know what Snape did to, to prove his loyalty yeah, to just, Voldemort just, at that point. Just, but it does not. It doesn't make sense to me. I never really got that. I don't get it. Like, mm-hmm. like they didn't build. That wasn't ever really built up. And... You know, yeah, they talk about how he's a reformed Death Eater, but they're not. They don't talk about why he, Vol- he has such a close relationship with Voldemort, even more than Bellatrix Lestrange, that um, that Voldemort's telling him these things. But you are you saying that he's that Voldemort's telling him these things because he is relying on the fact that he's a double agent? I think so. Yeah. Maybe D- Snape must have fed Voldemort uh, information on Dumbledore. 
And that's how he's able to earn his trust. I mean, and obviously Dumbledore is Dumbledore is complicit enough in the plan that he's like, yeah, you're gonna have to kill me. I'm just like, sorry, that's just how it goes. And he's like, I don't want to kill you. You're my friend. He's like, nope, too bad. Sorry, you gotta do that. Yeah, Dumbledore doesn't really fight for his life, yeah. does he? No, well, no, that's his thing. He's willing to lay his life on the line. He kind of considers himself a soldier in this in this story. Basically, he's he's a means to an end. And like they say, they joke in the movie about him being 150, but he is supposed to be older than a normal person at this point, uh, because he's, you know that's how the wizarding world works. Uh, we didn't I really mention being facetious. Yeah, I think they were, but I also think he's supposed to be older than like the 70 years old or 60 something that Michael Gambon is when they were. They're still this. human though. Because in the 30s, they're in, still human. Yes, magic, yes, yeah. Human. In the 30s, in what are 40s or whenever the Fantastic Beasts sequel, Crimes of Grindelwald, is set, Jude Law, who's like 50, is playing him. So do your math. Harry Potter is set like 60 years later, 50, 56. So clearly he's supposed to be a hundred and something. Um, uh, what exuberance. I know. He's more energetic than we are. We're in our 30s. Uh, I wanted to point out also the Chamber of Secrets thing. Aragog, his death is kind of a sequence in this. Again, back to that. And we didn't talk about how Daniel Radcliffe apparently okay, was I don't want to sound saying heartless that he, yeah. here because I do like animals, but I kind of feel like if you're going to not even include some other memories for Tom Riddle and some other things that were going on in the book, why are you including the, the death of the spider? I see it as a sort of a passage of time thing. And like, look, this is what we've, we've been telling this. We've been telling these stories so long. That spider that was like kicking ass and the focus of an entire action sequence four movies ago. He did. It's like it's like a, it's like the world has become such a dark place that characters you knew earlier in the movies are, are piecing out. I mean, as we'll see with Dobby in the next one. Uh, I also we didn't mention that Daniel Radcliffe was apparently drunk a lot on the set and of this we movie. Definitely notice it once we knew that. Yeah, when you see a certain thing, even that scene where he's on Liquid Luck, he seems like we're like, oh, in the pincers, and you're like, whoa, dude, the homeboy's out of it. Um, uh, what else? So, oh. Uh, the attack on the burrows is not in the book. It happens differently in the in the book somehow. I forget exactly how that goes down, but that sequence is not in there. And there's supposed to be a scene in the burrows, either in this one or the next book, that isn't in there because it burned down. What are your thoughts on that change? The fact that they wanted to add a little more personal stakes and have a little. Uh, I, I think they. I think what it is is in the book they reference the Death Eaters attacking wizards, wizarding families, and things like that. But it wasn't really seen. Uh, but it wasn't really, like, impacting the characters directly. And so in order for that point to make a greater impact, they changed it to the Weasley's iconic home being destroyed. Are you cool with that change? As, yeah, as a person so. reference, As I, a person yeah, representing the books? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. It doesn't really... They don't really do a whole lot. They run in a field and they're like, we're going to get you. And they're like, ha ha, no, you won't. And they, they need to disapparate. So basically. what the hell? So it's also like, why are these kids continually fighting the Death Eaters? Like, because it's why it was, was, why was Molly and I don't remember the name. Of the Molly guy. was in uh, Arthur. Arthur Weasley. Arthur, the why are they just standing there watching? Their well, Arthur Ch- was running after them. Molly why was in the house. So, or like, why he thought they have it was fought in the house. back too, like to protect their home and their family. Like, it just shouldn't be these kids that are constantly in these dangerous situations all the time. Why is it always you three? Exactly. Yeah, they're always in these dangerous situations. And they kick more ass than these 
these adults are. And then Molly's like, I don't want Harry to be in the Order of Phoenix. I'm like, why? He's kicking more ass than you are, Molly. And, Mo- you know, and don't get me wrong. I mean, Molly Molly's Wee- badass. Molly Weasley is awesome. She's gonna, especially she, she's going to have her moment yeah, yeah, she is. in the eighth movie. But um, it, it's just like, she's just standing there watching her house burn. I'm like, lady, you should be. Why were you? What the hell was going on? Or why that he was even? She was in the house, like doing dishes or something. I don't know. She was just like running the household. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. That would have been sad. But yeah, so the the burrows burning down was a big change to the movie from the book uh, that a lot of people sort of latched on to as part of like this movie doesn't even understand the book at all, man. But I think we've established the balance is off, clearly. So I, I, there's one more thing that I wanted to talk about, and then we can s- sort of end it here because we're way over time. But, you know, we, we have nine years of uh, history not, never shutting up when we talk to each other, so people get to experience a little bit of that. The big change here is uh, at the end of the book, they come back, Dumbledore is all wiped, and... Draco comes over being like, I'm going to kill you now. I'm really going to do it this time. I'm serious. And, and he's like, Avada, oh, I'm getting there. And uh, and then Snape shows up. And Dumbledore t- has told Harry to stay under there to be quiet. And, and not interfere whatsoever, right? Right. Because, you know, he knows that Snape is on the way, blah, 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 whatever. In the book, I forget exactly what the situation is, but... I think Dumbledore maybe even puts a spell so that Harry is not able to do anything or something. In whatever reason, Harry, because of because of magic, Harry is not able to move in that scene. He's literally stuck there to watch this happen. In the movie, that's not a factor. Right. He just yeah. listens to Dumbledore. Do you think good or bad change and why? That's an interesting question. Um, I think it's more a style change in that instance. Mm-hmm. If you don't have um, a particular strong feelings, one either way, I can. I, I guess I, I guess I could see that if it's in the movie and he is has the ability to move around, why there's more of that guilt. Yeah, exactly. Versus like in the book, you know, he's. I don't. I don't remember if he felt as much guilt because he literally, literally couldn't. couldn't do anything, yeah, he couldn't do anything. So I think it's just I think it's just a style change. Yeah, I'm, it adds I'm an extra. I'm kind of fine with it either way. It adds an extra wrinkle of character dimension if Harry now feels more weight of that, you know, of, like you said, of the guilt of I should have done something. He said not to, but I should have interfered to save his life or whatever. Then maybe I could have stopped him. Or and I, I think yeah, I think it's it's a little it's a little thing, but I think it has a a big character effect. Maybe that's, it it only strengthens your understanding why he would be like, nope, I got to finish what Dumbledore started. I could have saved him. I didn't. Now I'm not coming back to school because I got shit to do. I got to, I got to take out the rest of this Horcruxes. And I wonder with um, the whole thing with Dumbledore and Snape is that if, if Draco would have done it, if Snape hadn't done it. Well, that's what Hermione asks. And if Dumbledore, and if, I'm sorry, if Draco even knew of its unbreakable vow. I think, he, I, think, I think he does, because that's the conversation that Harry overhears, oh, I believe. Yeah. He's like, I have to back you up. Don't worry. Okay. You're, you're all it's good. Like, it's also one of those things, like a child feeling like they're being undermined right. by an adult. I mean, like, hey, man, I was going to do that. And you don't, especially since he has such a need for validation. Right. Being like, hey, fucker, you took me. You I'm took, glad you're you not. Over. Is that your first F-bomb? Yeah, I okay, think so. Because I've done like six, so I have to make sure. Yeah. Um, 
Okay, we also see Fox the Phoenix after Dumbledore's death, which again, which in our secrets theory or, or whatever. So I like that, just seeing Fox again. So last question, and then we're going to say goodbye, finally. Um, based on this movie, not knowing what you know of the next movie, not knowing what you know of the books, do you think Snape is good or evil? Because that was the question the people that read the book were left with and then had to wait until the Deathly Hallows novel came out. I think that he is a human being, that he is good and bad, because we're all good and bad. But do you think that he, like, what do you, do you think he's on Voldemort's side, according to the movie, not knowing the book and not with the next movie? No, I don't think he's on Voldemort's side. You think he's still, it's still in, in question? Yeah, I think that they kind of explain, it explains a little bit his relationship with Dumbledore when he's like, you can't, you know, you can't keep expecting me but that's a, that's an e- that's a quick enough moment that it's easy for people to probably overlook and be like oh, he killed Dumbledore because if you're looking for in 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 the, in the like uh, list form pros and cons list of is he good or evil murder Dumbledore is a pretty good you know pro evil side so I, I think I, I like the position that it puts his character yeah, in and, that, and that's a question that readers and or viewers are wondering going yeah, into the next and one. they also definitely. Um, put in position of when Dumbledore says to Snape, please, you you as a viewer think he's saying, please don't. Don't kill me, man. Don't kill me when in reality you find out in the next movie, he's saying, please, right. do this. So the movie, please so you're me. saying the movie does a good job leaving it open-ended where you're like, is he? I don't know exactly. Yeah. Because you never understand until the very, almost the end of the last movie what his motivation is because he's very confusing. He'll seem like, I hate you, Harry Potter. Go F off. And then he'll be like, oh, Harry Potter, I got to protect you. And then you don't like, understand why until the last one, which that one of the best sequences in the whole saga. Ultimately, though, Snape whatever. was the most realistic with Harry Potter that nobody else was. Like, right. he didn't look at Harry Potter as the chosen one. And he's just like, yeah, you think you are the chosen one and, you, and you're arrogant. Like, it's your like father was an asshole. Yeah. So he's like... Really and you got a little of that in Order of the Phoenix. You got a little of his dad. You, you find out in the last movie the previous movie that James Potter bullied him a lot and was not the paragon of virtue that Harry seems to think his dad was. Right. So it's like, so Snape was always keeping it real, you know, he's like, you're not, keeping it real. you're not the best thing, Harry. And, but he's also like, right. because of that, he also is, you know, he's not yeah. evil. He's not evil. He's not good. A balance of the both of them. Yeah. Cool. Interesting movie, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, it's a lot. I mean, we talked. I, this is going to be one of the longer episodes for this series. So, I expect uh, nothing less. Yeah, of course. Well, you and I have a, t- a tendency to go off on tangents. Uh, anywhere people want to find you on social media, I guess Instagram. You're not doing Twitter ever, really. But uh, Instagram, you want to tell people where they can find you on social media? Yeah, Kayana's. I'm on Instagram at uh, K-E-L-A-N-373. And then you can also... Find me on Facebook, but yeah, I'm not really. But you're not. You can't find you on Facebook because you're private. Is really on there. Okay, give me my Instagram. Instagram, yeah. Go back to that. Well, thank you, Kai Yanis, for being on the show once again. Uh, we talked about doing a Down with Love episode at some point, so maybe we'll still do that. But if nothing else, I said in my Instagram live video, and I'm going to hold you to it here. We're trying to try and do quick commentaries once a month starting in January 2021 so uh, that will be interesting so we'll have to figure out what we want to do but in the meantime thank you Kai for talking about Harry Potter with me for two hours and thank you listener and we'll be back with another episode next week alright bye bye
If you're interested in joining me on the show to chat about one of your favorite films, head on over to crookedtable.com slash guest. Or you can consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash crookedtable. Of course, you can always find more podcasts, reviews, videos, and other movie-related goodies over at crookedtable.com. Until next time, this has been the Crooked Table Podcast, and I've been Rob. This has been a production of crookedtable.com. All rights reserved. Z-R-O-K-E-D. Z-R-O-K-E-D. <laughs> <laughs>